Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Flipside Podcast. Today, it's me, Omana, joined by my co-host, Cheyenne. Our topic for today is health inequality and health disparity in, um, in America. And we'll also talk about the maternal mortality rates when it comes to Black women in the United States. Um, so to start this off today, I'm just going to introduce what health disparity and health inequities are. So health inequities are differences in health status or in the distribution of health resources between different population groups that arise from social conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. Health disparity is the higher burden of illness, injury, disability, or, mortali- or mortality experienced by one group relative to another. So I'm going to start off by introducing um, this saying. It's, when white America catches a cold, black America catches pneumonia. Basically what that's saying is when it comes to, um, in comparison, when you're comparing like white America, when situations arise, whether it's like environmental um, or health related um, or even relating to like the economy and like recessions and stuff. So there's always like a stark difference between how white America um, gets not treated or how they come out from the situation versus how black America or other minority groups um, come out of certain situations. So I'm just gonna start off by talking about COVID-19, since that's something that's very prevalent right now. So when COVID-19 was first introduced um, here in America, a lot of people had been saying, well, not even just in America, but throughout the world, a lot of people had been saying that COVID-19 is the great equalizer and that it, like, everyone is experiencing it. So, like, we're all in this together. And while COVID-19 is something that has no borders and is experienced throughout the whole world, it does disproportionately disproportionately affect different groups of people in different ways. Um, so COVID-19 discriminates against Black Americans more so because they are more likely to have serious cases, be hospitalized, and die from it for a couple of reasons, um, including Black Americans are more likely to work in essential jobs and jobs where they don't have the option to stay home, which puts them at greater risk for getting the virus. So we know that the more you're around other people, the more you're interacting um, in situations where you're forced to be close together, that's how the virus will spread more easily. So Black Americans, a lot of them don't have the option to stay at home or live in environments that are more spread apart. Um, so their likelihood of getting coronavirus, the COVID-19, was further increased. Another reason... Um, that coronavirus is higher in the black population is that discrimination is embedded within the healthcare system. Um, Racism, whether conscious or unconscious, influences medical care received by black patients. Black people um, have a history of getting unequal treatment when it comes to the healthcare system. And when people go into healthcare, it's not their, it's their intent that they're gonna treat their patients um, equally, but we live in a very racialized society 
and unconscious bias can still play a very large role in how healthcare givers care for all of their patients. Um, so one last reason Black Americans have a higher rate of getting the virus and getting more ill is because they have more of the underlying health conditions that make COVID-19 worse, such as hypertension and heart disease, diabetes, and asthma. There is a study done in April that found that people who have been subjected to long-term exposure of air pollution are more likely to have severe cases of COVID than people who don't. And Black people are more likely to live in areas that are polluted. So environment and where people live also plays a factor in um, getting certain illnesses. And COVID-19 relates to that because, again, being exposed to air pollution is going to result in more problems um, with breathing. So that will directly link to um, being more susceptible to getting COVID or not more susceptible, but it'll make it worse for when you do get it. Um, Concept known as weathering, which plays a role when it comes to the health of black individuals. So weathering is when racism takes a toll on the body. Um, So being put in adverse situations repeatedly affects the body even down at a cellular level. So I'll say that again, being put in adverse situations repeatedly affects the body even down at the cellular level. So this means that when faced with adverse events, blood pressure goes up, breathing increases, heart rate goes up. So when you think about how racism plays a role in society, if groups that are um, more susceptible, like Black individuals or just minority groups, if they have to deal with little acts of racism daily, large scale or small scale is going to take a toll on them physically. And when that happens often, um, I'm sorry. So when that happens often, like it, the body will start reacting a certain way, like negatively um, reacting and the body will kind of deteriorate. So that's why black individuals, they'll become, um, they'll start having like underlying conditions at such a young age and their body will start wearing down at a younger age just because of what weathering can do to their body. Like going about day to day, like it may not seem like a big deal, but after years and years of experiencing um, racism or thriving, surviving in like institutions that are racist, it takes a toll on the body. And that's why um, black Americans and again, people in, who are marginalized groups can um, get more sick at a young age from that alone. Um, yes, go ahead. Can I interject? So just to put what Omana is saying in layman's terms, right? Because I understand, you know, we did this research ahead of time Um and pretty much you're kind of reciting the, the factual research, which is good because these are the facts. But just to put it all in layman's terms so that everyone understands exactly what is being said and it can be absorbed, right? What Omana is basically saying is that institutional racism has a direct effect on 
people of color's health and specifically black people's health. So institutional racism or having um, race, racist experiences set off these chemicals in our brain. And those chemicals in our brain are the same chemicals you get when you are in dangerous situations. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the fight or flight chemicals, you know, when you are in a dangerous situation, you have to kind of think really quickly how to protect yourself. So those fight or flight chemicals that are set off in our brain, I forget the name that it's called, but um, those chemicals are almost like it's adrenaline, essentially. It is adrenaline, but there's good adrenaline, like if you're on a roller coaster, and then there's negative adrenaline, like when you're running for your life. And pretty much racism has that effect of trying to protect ourselves. Our fight or flight senses get activated. And when your body is in a constant, when you are in a racist society, your body's in a constant fight or flight mode, meaning that you are prepared for at any moment to encounter or have a racist encounter, right? So when your body's in a constant fight or flight mode, you are constantly, you know, being able to produce large amounts of adrenaline at any time. It has a direct effect on everything else in your body, right? When you are on that roller coaster scared or whatever, once you come down, it's a settling feeling. You get calm, right? You're, you're okay. And you realize that. But when you are in a, in a life that at, at any moment, you know, okay, I could be pulled over by police um, and killed or a, a, a white neighbor might not even recognize me um, living in this neighborhood and want to harass me or I'm being followed in a store being harassed. They think I'm going to steal something. When you're constantly in these situations where you're you're pretty much feeling as though you are endangered, then it produces these chemicals and it wears that weathering it wears on your body because our bodies aren't meant to produce this that's why they say african-americans have evolved differently because of the decades centuries even of racism they have evolved we have evolved differently we have evolved differently because of centuries of racism from our ancestors there's something called post-traumatic slave syndrome Right. So when you have ancestors who have been slaves, the stressors that they have had to um, endure, that stress is then passed down generation upon generation. So this is something that has literally affected generations of people. It's not just, oh, right now in this moment or this was one situation constantly being able to see people who look like you be shot down or having even 
experiences um, with hospitals not listening, doctors not listening to your pleas. You constantly have these experiences, plus you carry on the stress of past generation. So that is what this weathering is, right? Um, so maybe we should move into how this all causes high yeah, let's go for it. rates. Go no? Okay, so um, I thought it was important to talk about this because it isn't often talked about and it's something that has recently come up um, both I've seen in the news and also just on my timeline um, but basically I wanted to talk about African-American women's maternal mortality um, due to a recent death that I saw um, of a Black woman who was giving birth um, to her baby in, I think, somewhere in New York. Um, She was giving birth to her baby. She didn't want to do like an epidural or anything. She wanted to do a natural. Um, and despite her request, in a sense, um, she was still given an epidural and it went wrong and she passed away. So her name was. Shaizra Washington um, and this was in Brooklyn so yes it was in New York um, and like I said before giving birth everything seemed to be fine she wanted to do it naturally the hospital you know forced upon her a an epidural and she had complications and this is something that happens often and specifically to Black women. So um, there was a few things that I wanted to note, right? There has been a long history of distrust in the healthcare system and in doctors for Black people just because of, you know, the history of Black people being experimented on, um, during slavery and post-slavery, um, the history of Black people's cells being used without their knowledge, like the Henrietta, like Henrietta Lack story. Um, for those that don't know, it is an incredible story, but I don't want to take up too much time, so I won't speak about it. But Henrietta Lacks, pretty much her cancer cells have been used to cure many illnesses um, and it's still used to this day and her cells were taken from her deceased body without any consent 
from her or her family. Her family never knew that her cells were used up until pretty recently in the 2000s. Um, and Henrietta Lacks was, had died, I believe, sometime in the 40s or 50s. So it was a long time before um, she got any justice. And even now, like I said, her body is still used. Her cells were still used for research purposes and medicine. So there's a lot of mistrust. And then on to top it off, there are a lot of implicit bias in the health system, like Amana said, right? So you have, even up in 2016, these were the things that were surveyed amongst um, white medical trainees, right? So half of white medical trainees believe such myths as Black people have thicker skin or less sensitive nerve endings than white people. And there was a study done to just see if these thoughts have lasted recently. So in 2016, medical students and residents had made these claims um, in the study One says Black people's nerve endings are less sensitive than white people's. Another one says Black people's skin is thicker than white people's. Another says that Black people's blood coagulates more quickly than white people's, right? So right there, you have people who are training to be doctors, to operate on people or to pretty much practice medicine having these implicit biases right that are pretty much outrageous because why would black people have thicker skin or have less sensitive nerve endings where does this come from you know um and it's really disturbing because if you have people who are training to be doctors thinking this way the treatment that you will get will not be the same. Um, And I think that was something that people realized. And those notions were from 2016. That is four years ago. Four years ago. Which isn't a long time at all. So with those implicit biases from medical professionals um, or medical trainees... Um, and there's plenty of other stereotypes that are believed amongst um, people in the medical field. And I think now they are trying to do better because I know at Rutgers, it was like mandatory for people who are pre-med to take time, some type of sociology class or um, some type of diversity fulfillment class or not actually a diversity fulfillment class I think they're trying to get that implemented but it hasn't been done yet but like some type of class to um pretty much teach them about implicit bias um so I minored in sociology and I took a few of those classes on myself and one of the things that came up 
with Black women's, African American women's maternal mortality rates. Um, and a couple of things that were really, really disturbing but fascinating to me was that Black women are four times more likely to die from childbirth than white women. All right. So four times more likely and we're only 13% of the population compared to about 60 or 70% of the population being white. Right. Um, and then also Wait, Shine, we got disconnected for a little bit. Can you just repeat what you're saying about the percentage again? I just want to make sure that people um, are able to hear what you're saying. Oh, okay. All right. So I was saying that um, Black women are, well, Black and um, non-Hispanic American Indian, which is Native American. I don't know why they put Native American Indian. I hate it. But anyway, so Black women and Native American women are four to five times um more likely to to die from childbirth than white women um and that was just crazy to me right because we're living in the same same society same country but there's such a large disparity there four to five times more likely um and a lot of that has to do with racism race and um racist institutions but it also has to do with the weathering effect that we just recently talked about right so on top of people having these implicit biases not just people our doctors and soon to be doctors having these implicit biases you have Black women specifically, and then also Native American women who have endured such racism and have developed or evolved to have these flight or fight responses in their brain that their body is weathering, it's deteriorating. There are complications that we have um, more often because our body is pretty much fighting at, a, at all times is in a fight mode and imagine when you are pregnant you are passing down those chemicals into your fetus um, and that is another reason why they believe that our infant mortality rates are higher too so black women have two things our maternal mortality rates are the highest and our infant mortality rates are our highest being pregnant is a sensitive time, so you are more susceptible to having complications, um, to, you know, having just pain, and often with that, with that pain and doctors not really believing you, you can then not get the treatment that you need to save your life. Um, and this can happen whether you are poor, rich, or in the middle, because we saw it with Serena Williams. Serena Williams literally 
almost died during her preg- during her childbirth because she had a blood clot or got a blood clot and had been telling the doctors that something was wrong, something's wrong. And they just kind of brushed her off like, you seem fine, there's nothing wrong. She literally almost died from that. At the very, there at least there was somebody that finally believed her and checked her out thoroughly and she was able to receive the medical attention that she needed. But she had to go through a surgery, which surgery is no little thing. Like, you lose a lot of blood, especially if you have a blood clot. So she she, pretty, she had a very traumatic experience with that. And you would think, oh, well, her being one of the best athletes in the world and having, you know, millions of dollars, she would be able to afford great health care, right? Well, it wasn't about her affording great health care. It was about the implicit biases of the doctors that told her she was fine when she knew something was wrong with your body, with her body. So that is something that happens um, to Black women in the contribution to higher maternal mortality rates, us not being listened to by doctors, in which that then makes us not even want to go tell our problems to doctors, which is not good because a lot of medical issues can go unseen or unheard or undocumented when you are not confident in the medical treatment that you're going to get. So that is that part. Now, why is this, why is this important? Well, like I said, it's something that is currently and currently still going on. And I think we talked a lot about, or in the media, it talks a lot about, you know, police brutality and how law enforcement is killing young Black men at high rates, right? And which is killing Black women too, but it's always highlighted the young Black men. But the same high rates that law enforcement is killing black men the medical field is killing black women you know um, literally the medical field has had long histories of specifically using black women for experience and killing them killing them off a lot of the um, procedures and treatments used for used by OBGYNs were experimented on black slave women and it killed hundreds of them. So that is something I think about. I think about it because I even had an experience where two years ago I had woke up with the worst pain I have ever felt. Like, it was bad, Omana. Like, I thought that I was going to die because I thought, honestly, that I had um, appendicitis. I don't know if anyone has had appendicitis, but that is a bitch. Like, oh, my gosh. I've never had it, but it will 
it wasn't appendicitis, right? So I thought it was. I read on WebMD, which is always the worst thing you could do. But like, that's my first doctor. And um, I read my symptoms on WebMD and I was like, oh my God, this is appendicitis. And like, no joke to you, I was in pain for about five hours straight. Like I woke up early, early that morning in pain, probably about seven no, actually, probably about like 5 a.m. And I feel like I held it off, held it off, held it off. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just drink some tea or I'm just going to get some rest. And I had class later. So I was like, let me just see how I feel. I think I can make the class. It wasn't until I began um, violently vomiting that I was like, okay, I can't do this. This is too much. I don't know what's going on with my body. It started out with, like, sharp pains in my side and stomach, and I was like, maybe this is bad cramps, or maybe this is um, gas. I don't know. I really thought it was gas. Like, I didn't know what it was, but I did not want to go to the doctor. And then eventually, I called um, the nurse hotline at my school at the time, and I explained my symptoms, and the nurse was like, you need to go to the emergency room. And I'm like, mm, I'm going to give it an hour and then I'll let you know. So I couldn't even give it an hour. I eventually was just like, I'm in so much pain that I need to go to the emergency room. I'm scared. So I called an Uber, right? Thank God for Uber. I called an Uber instead of like 911 or something. Cause I was like, you know what? It's not worth that ambulance charge. Um, and I went to the emergency room and I literally was in the lobby of the emergency room. There was a long line, which is also a problem, right? Because people who don't have health insurance or have like bad health insurance, um, tend to go to the emergency room to seek medical help a lot of times. And that line was packed. I was in line and I just remember like I felt like I was going to pass out and then I just went to the front of the line told the lady at the desk I was like I'm going to to throw up or pass out (laughs) um and she gave me a bag and someone caught me in a wheelchair I was like what the hell um and then once I finally got back to where they were like checking me out and everything like that it took hours for me to get any attention like I literally was sitting in that bed crying because of the pain that I was feeling and nurses and doctors of all kinds were walking straight by me um to go to other patients which it wasn't that many patients there like I noted that because I was just like every person that passed I was like can I please have someone like take a look, especially if I thought it was appendicitis. I know there's a time frame that you need to get before it bursts. So I was scared. I was like, you are ignoring me. And I've been here for like two hours almost. So finally I get checked out. The nurse puts an IV in my arm to give me some pain medication um, just to ease the pain and I don't know what they gave me, but it didn't do anything. Like, I was like, I'm in severe pain still. Um, 
then it took like another hour almost for me to get an ultrasound to see what was wrong. And while they were giving me the ultrasound, I was like squirming in so much pain still. And I still had the IV. And the nurse giving me the ultrasound, she looked at me and got so annoyed. She was like, they didn't give you anything, you know, why stop moving? I can't do this with you moving. And I'm like, I am in pain. Do y'all not understand that? Like, you're telling me to stop moving and you're getting annoyed with me, but I'm getting annoyed with you because I literally feel like I'm dying. What is wrong with y'all? So after that, it came out that I had ovarian torsion, meaning my ovary literally twisted and um, I had to get an emergency surgery to get it untwisted before it lost too much. I think it lost connection to blood so I would have lost an ovary had it not untwisted um which is pretty freaking serious right and it took them hours to get me this treatment I could have anything could have happened I could have lost a lot of blood or my ovary could have died anything um so finally I start, you know, signing the paperwork to admit myself and, like, give consent to get the surgery. And took a longer while to get it, but eventually it got done. And all I can ever think about is, one, not being listened to when I said, like, this this IV, this pain medication you're giving me is not working. Like, I literally was pleading with them, you know, to begin checking me out because I was in so much pain. Two, I think about the lady who gave me an ultrasound and got annoyed with me and yelled at me because I was moving from the pain that I was in. Um, And lastly, I just think about how I got to a point one at one time where I was being ignored. People were walking by me and I was just, you know, crying and being so frustrated. And I said to someone, I was like, I have health insurance. Like, I thought maybe they were just ignoring me because they didn't know if I had health insurance. And they just were like, oh, she's probably here for a stomach ache. But I tried to emphasize as much as I could how serious I thought this was and it felt like I was being ignored Mm -hmm. or not even felt like it. I know I was being ignored. And that is something that, you know, is my small experience, but it could have been way worse. And I feel like for so many black women, it, it does become way worse. And that is why I say like the medical field literally just ignores the pleas of black women and their pain or you know their illness there's a reason for it too and it's it comes down to implicit bias racism um why i have why i had that ovarian torsion could very well be you know the cysts in my ovaries are they come from hormones. So if there are chemicals in my body that are imbalanced. Um, it could very well be from the imbalances 
imbalanced chemicals in my brain that are set off. I, I don't really know. I'm not a medical professional or anything, and I'm not a scientist either. But it makes sense if you think about it, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I'm happy you shared your story because that probably happens so often um, to to so many women that just go like unreported or like unnoticed. So people who work in the healthcare field, they should be more cognizant of their implicit bias and like what they can do to make sure that they're treating all of their parent their patients um, equally and fairly and really listening to all the needs of their patients and not overlooking um, certain um, issues. Um, yeah, and so yeah, health disparity and like the health inequities that exist within our systems and our society really need to be, um, I guess, I mean, it's been emphasized before, but I think really now, especially with everything going on now with like COVID, we need to take a good hard look at what is going on in our, within our systems and our institutions and see, okay, what can we do truly to turn this around and like decrease the gap of health disparity between certain groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, anyone who is, you know, thinking of being in the medical field in any capacity, you know, it, it, especially if you are considering yourself an ally or trying to learn how to be an ally, pay attention to what is said in your classrooms regarding um, race and medicine, right? Because that study that was done was amongst medical trainees, but also there was a another there was another um, I guess not even study. I, I think someone saw in one of their medical books it literally saying these implicit or labeling these implicit biases by race of um, how African-Americans deal with pain, how Hispanic Americans deal with pain, how Asian Americans deal with pain. And it literally listed out a bunch of like, I don't even know, garbage pretty much because not every African-American is the same. Um, just as not every Asian is the same, not every Hispanic person is the same. Like each one of your patients would be an individual. So the way they're going to express pain, the way they're going to deal with it, it's all going to be different. So, so for a medical book to even make claims or generalizations like that, it's something that you know, you as someone who's planning on being in that field need to pay attention to, and you need to call that shit out. Call it out. Call it out in your classrooms. Call it out in your residencies. Call it out in your clinicals. Call that shit out. Call it out in the hospital. If you see someone not giving the proper care, call it out because you could very well save a life that way, right? So, 
yeah, that's all I had to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's what, in all instances, when it comes to racism, even outside the healthcare field, you just have to make sure you're calling it out because if we're just going to continue sweeping things under the rug and pretending like it doesn't exist or ignore it, then all these issues will continue. So call that shit out. Um, yeah, and that's all we have for you today. Yes, so join us next time um, for another episode of On the Flip Side. And like I said, let us know what you want to hear us discuss because this is really for the education of everyone. Um, I want to do a really fun episode one of these days. Fun but informative, of course. And thank you for supporting us, all those who have been listening in, sending positive remarks and comments. Thank you so much. Sharing our episodes. Thank you. Make sure to like us. Uh, If you listen to Apple Podcasts, leave us a comment or give us five stars. A review. Yes. All right. Bye, Amana. Catch you on the flip side. (laughs)